You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show, now available on the Umoja app. I'm your host, Imran Daramsi. And on this weekly talk show, we invite professionals and teenagers to take us through their journeys and give us advice. Um, so we took a break for another week, but now we're happy to be back. So remember, if you have any questions for our panelists, you can always leave them on the Inspire app, um, which is Inspire platform, which is available for free on the Umoja app. Um, and before we start, we actually wanted to mention a bit about that, about the Inspire platform. It is a question and answer platform for career advice in our Shia community. So as a rising professional, uh, what that means for you is you can ask for advice from other professionals in our community. And as a mentor, uh, you can give advice to our community's future professionals as well as students. Um, and so that is available via the Umoja app uh, on Android and iOS with an Umoja account. Um, one other quick thing, um, we're able to share stories of inspiring professionals, students, and community organizations only because of the generous support of viewers and listeners like you. So we would ask that you please consider supporting our talk show at umojaoutreach.org slash donate um, or through the donate option on the Umoja app. Um, and every little bit truly goes a long way in opening career doors for our youth and connecting our communities. So we thank you for that. Um, and now on to the main point of today's show, today's speaker. Um, today's speaker is Sister Sabah Hashmi, um, whose journey has taken her from a senior policy analyst to now an entrepreneur. Um, Sabah is a mom and founder of Sabah's Corner, uh, which is a blog that strives to support Muslim parents in the West. Um, she was born and raised in Canada from a Muslim Pakistani background, so we will also talk about how she has managed to juggle her multiple identities and whether juggle is even the right term. Um, and she holds a bachelor's in public administration and sociology, um, as well as a master's in public policy administration. Um, she also, when she lived in Canada, she held multiple roles in the Canadian government. Um, and then she relocated to the U.S. after getting married, where she served as uh, director of operations for a health business. Currently, she, um, she writes Sabah's Corner. Um, she manages a Facebook group, which we'll definitely talk about. And she serves on the board of directors for a nonprofit organization. Um, so let's welcome Sister Sabah. Assalamu alaikum. Sister Sabah, Salaam thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, and so I already did a little bit of the introduction part. Um, but I guess the first thing I, I wanted to ask you about is could you tell us a little bit about yourself and especially uh, your educational background? Mm -hmm. So born and raised in Canada to Pakistani parents. Um, mm -hmm. I went through the public uh, school system in Canada and uh, did my education in uh, public administration. Um, and I'm from Ottawa, so uh, Canada's capital. And okay. I knew um, from a very young age that I wanted to work with the government. Um, and the running joke, I guess, with family and friends is that I was going to be the next prime minister. So <laughs> um, that's the route I took in school. And I... Uh, did my undergrad in public admin. And then a couple of years later, well, after uh, my undergrad, I started working full time with the government of Canada and the federal public service. And I waited two years and then did my master's in public policy and administration in Toronto, just to diversify my schools. And mm -hmm. uh, then came back and started working with the government again. Okay. Um, can you tell us uh, what drew you to go back to school to do your master's? 
Well, I, I knew, um, I understood very well that at the time when I was doing my undergrad, that undergrad was the new high school level. And if I wanted mm. to move up the ranks in government or in any career, and especially if I wanted to be the next prime minister, you know, I'd have to have <laughs> some more credentials under my belt. So I, I knew that would have been a natural next step. I okay. wanted to actually pursue my master's right away, but because I had gotten a mm. job uh, with the government and I did mm -hmm. get promoted uh, close to the time where I would have been taking a leave to go do my master's, I ended up deferring it for a year and then um, went and pursued it. And actually alongside my master's, I did um, a teaching certificate as well. And okay. with that, you know, you do an internship and mm -hmm. um, I was a TA for first year politics student. So, um, you know, that whole package together is always enticing. So I ended up going that route. But I love to learn. So for me, education yeah. was always okay. And I can do something else and uh, I'll keep going. Right. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, I, I was just thinking when you're talking about the degrees that you hold, um, some of our viewers might not really know uh, what public policy administration is. Um, so could you give us a little bit of background as to what that is and specifically what, what your role was with that degree uh, in the Canadian government? Yeah, so a public policy and administration degree gives you exposure to how government works. And in all mm -hmm. levels, you know, there's the municipal government, provincial government and federal government. And um, that degree offers courses where, you know, you understand how politics works, right? How uh, members, um, a member of parliament works, uh, or the Senate works. And so you understand the structure yeah. of government, specifically in a Canadian setting. And mm -hmm. you also... Um, uh, you know, you'll have business administration courses, you'll learn about statistics, uh, economics, um, because all of that is part of developing policy in the government. And that's how you end up applying your skills when you, let's say, become a policymaker, which is the route I had gone down. And um, right. you use those skills to create um, legislation if you need to, when you work with, you know, government lawyers, and you, mm -hmm. um, you know, contribute towards treasury board submissions. So it's a lot of that language that's used and in terms of the theory behind why you do it, which then you use in a practical setting in the government. And what are some skills that someone who might be looking um, into working for the government, going into public policy administration, what are some of the skills that they should look for in themselves? Maybe they're interested, maybe they don't know if it's right for them. What would you mm -hmm. advise them? Uh, uh, number one would probably be writing. Writing is a, a okay. major skill and component that you need. Um, uh, having a good proficiency in, like, you know, know how to research, know how to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, conduct uh, searches and be resourceful with now, you know, everything's online on how to get the right information and and really know how to read legislation because if you are going down the policy stream, you're working a lot with that and you need to know um, government jargon as well. Uh, so those are the types of skills that you would probably need. Um, Statistics, uh, right? That's usually mm -hmm. a an essential qualification in some uh, policy stream uh, job, uh, like the criteria and jobs. So those are, and those are all actually courses that are offered when you do take the uh, you do take your actually undergrad and your masters. They're all offered in those. So it does really set you up for success in a government setting. Hmm. Okay, great. Thank you for that. So it's not necessarily that you have to have those skills before you decide to pursue it in undergrad. It's just those should be the things that so, you're inclined yeah. to do. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, um, uh, you know, government kind of are uh, 
schooling in general, I'm kind of a believer that you use, you learn how you, you know, time manage, you know, you, you learn actually different type of skills in schooling, you know, you'll learn how to manage time, you'll learn how to um, uh, juggle different courses all at once, or how to uh, work on several projects at the same time. And I would mm -hmm. probably argue that those skills are much more important um, in the government setting, because you are typically responsible for multiple files at the same time, and you need to be able to distribute your time accordingly, and um, be strategic. And, and those are the types of skills you actually do learn in school. Um, and the, in, in a practical setting, everything's always different. But uh, those types of skills are probably even more important. But I think mm. you can learn those in really any degree. Yeah, thanks. Um, how did you uh, go about getting your foot in the door for jobs, for internships? I know you said um, right out of college, you actually had a job with the Canadian government, which is, I heard those are quite competitive. So <laughs> yes, give us some yes, advice yeah. on that. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's um, okay. So to get my foot in the door, um, yeah. Canada has this um, this program called the Federal Student Work Experience Program, and it's essentially Canada's mm -hmm. largest student employer. And um, it is super competitive, and it is for mm -hmm. students at the university level to get federal uh, public service work experience. And I had been applying since first year of university. And to be honest with you, I actually never got in until my okay. third year. And hmm. I was at actually a huge disadvantage because, I mean, as you may know, in Canada, being bilingual is, is really important, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's an official, there's two official languages, uh, French and English, especially right. in Ottawa, where most of the federal government jobs are. And I always got screened out when it came to languages. So mm. I would always try to find opportunities to volunteer, to really make my resume attractive and um, posture my research projects so I can really list them in my um, skill set on my resumes. And then um, when it came to third year of my undergrad, I'm not really quite sure what shifted, but I started getting calls for interviews and I um, was now uh, being selected and all my, my resume was going through for jobs and uh, they were mm -hmm. starting to line up. And then I did end up getting a um, interview for an analyst position with one department that I was really interested in and memorized everything that I could about that department. <laughs> and I uh, really wanted that job and I the interview went very well and the next day I got a call back um, wow. that basically gave me the offer as a student analyst to hmm. um, start the following week and then once I graduated I was then bridged in full-time in that same department and then moved up That's the amazing. ranks. Yeah. What about I feel like um, a lot of people maybe because you said it took you a few tries to get into this program um, they might not get in the first time and then kind of quit or not do as much to, to, to bolster their application for the next round. So what would you tell to those people? Like, how, how would you speak about the importance of perseverance? Oh, it's super important, especially um, with, uh, with the government. It is super competitive and you're mm -hmm. going against people who have a lot of the skill sets, you know, just 
language, you know, was one that was, you know, yeah. may seem small. I know in the government it's not, but no, that's what screamed me out. <laughs> Otherwise I had all the other skill sets, right? But um, you have to keep trying. But then the the issue here is, is you don't try the same way. You keep adjusting. You keep trying different approaches to the same mm. issue. And when you do that, then you're able to um, kind of navigate differently, right? And then you can um, maybe one uh, way of writing something um, wasn't as attractive as another way of writing it. Now, all of a sudden, that puts you ahead of the game. So you never want to give up on that because you never know. You know, for me, I kept trying and third year, I don't know what shifted, but something did, right? Um, something was mm -hmm. caught on my resume that um, wasn't caught perhaps in previous years because I kept adjusting it. And I, I knew I had to work a little bit harder because at the time I didn't have the languages. And I did do that because, I mean, don't forget, prime minister was, you know, that was the goal. <laughs> was the so, goal yeah. you know, <laughs> there, there was no going back from that. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, uh, let's shift gears a little bit, um, away from Prime Minister, <laughs> um, because you moved to the US, I guess that, that, yeah. uh, that doesn't work out, <laughs> but yeah, where did your, you yeah, maybe you can be next president. <laughs> right. um, yeah, it's a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where did your career go from there? Like after you moved to the US, because I know you, you know, there's a huge list of things that you've you've done even after you moved. Mm -hmm. So could you talk us to a little bit about that? Yeah. So actually, I had my career in the government for about 10 years. And mm -hmm. um, so then after getting married, um, moved to the U.S. And um, I mean, I knew my learning wasn't going to stop there because I've always been the type right. to want to try new things. It was just a matter of what, when and how. Um, when I had moved, I wasn't able to do anything right away because I was going through the immigration process. And, mm -hmm. um, but that was okay because I was acclimating to the environment and we right. traveled a little bit. Um, and then we, um, then I actually ended up getting pregnant shortly after. And mm -hmm. uh, when that happened, um, things kind of shifted gears. It wasn't as, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it wasn't now about uh, going and finding a job or working uh, somewhere. It was about, you know, raising a family and yeah. what that means for us. And I, you know, I, I realized and, you know, my husband and I, we uh, agreed that it was really important for us to be with our children, especially in their formative years from, you know, the ages mm -hmm. of zero to seven. It was really important for us to be very involved and take their learning um, and development in our hands uh, during that time, at least. Um, so uh, I had to start being a little bit more creative in terms of what I would do for myself and for employment. Um and actually, once I did have my child, a few months later, I was invited to be a board of director for a nonprofit organization uh, called the mm -hmm. Labor of Love Doula Program. And later, I was selected to be the treasurer for that organization. And I was the, um, so basically, I manage, and I still do this, I manage the accounting, I do the accounting and financial management of the entire organization. And mm -hmm. I guess, for those who don't know what a doula is, um, it's essentially a woman who supports um, pregnant um, expecting mothers uh, during their pregnancy, labor, uh, delivery, and postpartum uh, postpartum time. And um, uh, it's such a great uh, organization, and they provide mm. um, it's subsidized program. So if there's uh, somebody who can't afford it, then they provide the opportunity for an expecting mother to have a doula if they want one. And we facilitate oh, okay. that and arrange, arrange that for them. So that's something that wow. I, I started doing and I continue to do. And then, um, 
you know, started having my children and uh, started doing a lot more of, you know, what else can I do? What else can come up hmm. um, that makes more sense? And, um, and then there's a whole story of how, you know, Subba's Corner comes in after that. Yeah. Okay. So let's actually talk about that because the way, the way I, I found you actually was through someone told me about Subba's Corner. Um, and then I thought you would be great to bring on the show. So maybe talk about that. Cause I know you said you pivoted after <laughs> you had kids. Um, mm-hmm. What was behind that pivot and how did it lead to Subba's Corner? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, as I said in the beginning, um, I wear many hats, right? I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I identify as being a Muslim, Canadian, Pakistani, and, you know, I'm still figuring out being American, but I'll add that to the <laughs> list as well. Right? <laughs> but, um, you know, with that, I, I mean, since growing up, right, like, it, it's very confusing. You know, what am I? What am I to who? Sure. Why am I what I am? Right? We're asking ourselves mm. all these questions. And uh, growing up, it's really tough when you're uh, being raised in a Western society. Um, you know, in the home, we were very much so Pakistani Muslim. And mm-hmm. in the outside world, I was, you know, Western uh, Muslim, right? So I was always something different somewhere. Right. Um, and then right. what I started noticing and, you know, I've gone through this is I was confused. Like, what am I? Am I defending myself? Am I, you know, my mm. Western? Does that mean I let go of everything else? Um, you know, and I guess I can just, you know, so basically that just started those questions started coming up. Right. Um, a lot of soul yeah. searching starts happening. Um, right. And the shift happened when I was pregnant because now it was no mm. longer about me. Right. Um, I'm thinking, you know, I'm now responsible for um, the morals, the behaviors, the ethic, um, the ethics of raising children. And before I would entrust myself to others to guide me on, you know, what I need to do, how I should do it. But that wasn't going to fly anymore. I couldn't go with the flow anymore. I had to take um, my parenting journey into my own hands. And mm-hmm. that also meant I needed to know what I was doing and why I was doing it. And I had to ask myself some really tough questions. Um, and when you are in a state of confusion, how are you supposed to raise your children? They'll ultimately come out confused as well because uh, you're still figuring it out or you still haven't gotten Mm. a grasp of it. So um, I took a lot of time to do, uh, you know, research, whether it was Islamic research, Western research, um, cultural research, just trying to understand um, where I'm coming from and where I stand in this world, like who am I kind of thing. Uh, And when I was doing that research, I, you know, I, I realized that we're so much more than you know, there's more to us than just our faith and, you know, apparel, right? You know, we have social interests that are the same as in the West, as in the Western context. Um, our language is similar, you know, our environment, mm. uh, Western science, our individual preferences, there's so much that aligns, right? But then there's so much that's different too. Uh, and I know that there's millions of people out there that are like me and, and they right. want to hold on to their Islamic values which is exactly, you know, what I was trying to do. So I started dissecting Mm. it all one by one by one. And I mean, um, that's how I slowly started coming into, you know, like I want to also hold on to my mother tongue. You know, my parents are Pakistani. Mm. They taught us how to speak Urdu and that was important for me. So how do I do that? Mm. You know, these are the types of questions I started asking myself. Um, But when I realized that there's so many people out there like me, I, I didn't really want to do this alone, right? Because we it, this is often mm. like conversations you have in silos. So you never really, um, 
they never really reflect on it or talk about it because we usually shy away from these conversations because they are so convoluted. And um, often, you know, if you're you're talking about being Western Muslim, you know, people will think that, oh, you're completely off the tracks, but, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. So I wanted to change that rhetoric. And that happened, um, I guess, when I started understanding what my identities were and what that meant for mm. me. Um, I know you had mentioned um, to speak about my identities. So yes, this yes. kind of like Seba's corner really aligns with um, how I manage and juggle my identities and where it came from. Mm. So, um, I mean, if you want, I can go ahead and talk about that because they, they're very closely aligned. Yeah. In fact, um, one thing that you mentioned that was really interesting when we were speaking before is it's not really, it doesn't have to be about juggling. Um, we always mm -hmm. kind of say that we're trying to balance, be enough of this and enough of this and enough of this, but really they mm -hmm. fit together. We just have to find how. So right. I feel like that's, you know, that's the way that it really connects to Sebas Corner. And that's really interesting. So, you know, if you want to mm -hmm. talk more about that, that would be. Yeah, I guess um, <laughs> to build on that, let me let me actually define some terms. OK, because that sure. will kind of give a better understanding of where I'm coming from um, and how uh, this works with me kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, I'm Muslim, Canadian, Pakistani, American. I'll, I'll bunch up American with Canadian for now. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, I guess being Muslim is, you know, ultimately, I believe in God. I believe in Allah. And I believe in the holy book, the Quran. And I believe mm -hmm. in the final messenger, um, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. At a very fundamental core level, without going into all of the details, that is the core of being Muslim to me. And um, with that comes a set of beliefs, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You know, um, Islam is, is a value system as well, where, you know, you do good. What is good? Good is um, you take care of your elders. You treat people with respect. You uh, create every, uh, treat everyone as equals. You, um, mm -hmm. you know, you help your neighbor. Uh, and what's in this list, uh, there's a list of things that are bad, you know, and those are pretty common as well. You don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't gossip, yeah. you don't eat pork, you know, the list mm -hmm. goes on and they're pretty straightforward. There's not too much gray area there. Um, mm -hmm. So that's how I guess I identify at the core level of being Muslim. Then there's okay. the Canadian, right? I was born there. I mm -hmm. speak both official languages. Now I'm actually bilingual. I speak French and English. I, mm -hmm. um, you know, I attended public schools there and I did my mm -hmm. education there. I paid taxes. I contributed to society through work and right. volunteer. I wear the same clothes as them. You know, mm -hmm. poutine is actually my favorite food. You can't really get more Canadian <laughs> very than Canadian. that. <laughs> right? yeah. So I identify very much so as being Canadian. And then there's the Pakistani side of me where my I, I speak the language fluently. I can read, mm -hmm. write and speak Urdu. I love shopping for Pakistani outfits. You know, um, when it comes to Eid season and um, wedding seasons, I'm all for it. I do try to, uh, you know, practice some of the traditions and cultures as they're mm -hmm. um, taught to me by, you know, our elders in the community, our parents right. and so forth. But I wasn't born there. I've only actually visited Pakistan once in my life. And mm. I um, don't really know the authentic culture because when I actually went there the first time, there was actually a huge culture shock for me. And mm. But the way Canada is to me is the way um, Pakistan is to my parents. And because that's really important for them, 
it's important for me. And that's why I, I struggle so much to try and really hold on to that culture because they worked really hard to bring us here and give us the life here. I mean, that's only just mm-hmm. the least we could do. So I have all of these identities, but I identify with them very differently. And right. growing up, I, I kind of was always trying to just fit in, right? Because we're human. We mm-hmm. really want to fit in. And um, when you have all these identities, that's really hard to do because you're you're not sure if you should go to one side more than the other because, you know, I was too Western for the Pakistani, I was too (laughs) Pakistani for the Western, right? It was just, it was really confusing, right? So I ended up, you know, to be more with like the Western people, maybe, you know, growing up, I'd like to listen to music, right? That's just an example. Um, I wanted to listen to music. And if I'm listening to music, I'm fitting in with the crowd, you know, we know all the pop songs, the lyrics, but I was shifting away from being Muslim because I was justifying it. I was justifying Mm. why it was okay to fit in because I didn't want to stand out like a sore thumb based on like, you know, the tabloids that I'm reading. I don't want people to think of me differently. Um, You know, I'm already confused. This is just creating more confusion. And then the same Mm. thing on the Pakistani side, right? If I'm hanging out with some Pakistani friends, I tend to try to be more Pakistani. Um, And then that also, when you kind of go to one side too much, you start to shift away from um, certain values that you hold because you start justifying Mm. why it's okay. And as I, um, so the, then the transformation happens, right? So you're, you're, as you grow older and you go through experiences and, you know, you try different things, you start realizing it's just not working coming at the same issue Mm. where I'm still confused years later. Right. So um, when I was pregnant and that shift happened, I, I was doing the research and just one day it kind of came to me that I was asking the question the wrong way. I was asking, how do I fit into the West or how do I fit into the Pakistani culture? And when I asked it that way, I was molding myself into what other people essentially wanted me to be. And, Mm. um, you lose a little bit of yourself in doing that. So you, you ultimately can't have balance in that because you're kind of just swaying back and forth all the time. And right. then what I, I started to do was if I ask the question differently, you know, try to be more solution oriented. If I ask, if I reverse the question, right? If I put my foundation as being Muslim, right? My belief system is I am Muslim. We all have our own belief systems. You know, um, everybody has their faith there is a belief system that is your foundation, kind of similar to if I give an analogy of a home, right? There are some walls that are load bearing walls. If you take those down, uh, the integrity, uh, you're losing the integrity of the house, right? It's at risk Mm. of falling. Um, So that has to be at the center. That has to be at the center. So being Mm. a Muslim, I put at the center as opposed to that being what swayed, it was now at the center. So I have my belief system at the center. Now, the question I rephrased was, how does the West fit into my belief system? And how does the Mm -hmm. Pakistani culture fit into my belief system? And Mm -hmm. believe it or not, it like, it was just a light bulb that just went off for me. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to actually see a lot more clarity on who I was, because what I knew now was I can't compromise my beliefs but I can find solutions now on how I can make it work and still be integrated into the West. So it went from how I fit in. And there's a little bit of a a negative to that because I'm losing myself to be something to Mm -hmm. now looking at how the West can be part of me without losing who I am. And when I started to look at the world that way, it, 
you know, things started to come together a lot easier. I started to know who I was. I started to know how I can make a difference with with me and my children and how I can raise them so they don't feel confused. They have Mm -hmm. a foundation and they can still blend within the West. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Because a lot of the value systems are there as long as you're not compromising that. And when I did that, you know, I guess a perfect example of that is in my blog, I did, I, I wrote a post on play in Islam and Western philosophies. Yep, and, it's right there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, and, and essentially what that was, was, you know, my children are younger. So I'm at the stage, uh, I'm at this play stage. And um, what I wanted to look at was what does Islam have to say about play, the concept of play? Is it even a thing in Islam? You know, I don't know. Let's go do the research, right? Um, because, you know, I have that skill set of doing research, analysis, um, all of that. I, I enjoy this type of stuff. So mm-hmm. I did that. I did the research. And, you know, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, um, there was a lot of hadith out there from all different sects that talk about the importance of play in the formative years of zero to seven and um, how much emphasis we should give to that to the extent that it even says don't disrupt a child if they're in the middle of playing right and it's very powerful because when we look at these types of things when it comes to education um, for our children we're often looking to western science first and when i reversed it to look at the islamic perspective first and then i looked at now let's see what the West is saying about this same topic. Mm-hmm. I, I found that it was only after the 1900s that Western philosophers are coming and talking about how important play-based learning is and why you should allow your child to play um, and how it strengthens them as a human being and an, an individual and helps them develop um, mentally and all of that. And it was it was a very powerful thing for me because we always gave the credit to other people when really centuries ago, right. the same concept was already taught to us. And so now hmm. what we've done is we've aligned just by this single post on a very tiny topic in the grand scheme of everything, but, you know, one topic yeah. at a time, um, mm-hmm. you know, we've aligned our Islamic values with our Western values. And we're not standing out. But now we know that, look, Islam said this first and we're and this is the way to do it. And look, the Western the Western science and the Western world does this as well. And now we can have a common ground, a similarity. We have more inclusiveness and there's more a positive outlook on the relationship. So, you know, non-Muslims coming in and seeing this as well, they can see alignment. And that's kind of how, I mean, I'm envisioning it for myself, for my children. So they don't stand out, right? Or they don't know why they don't fit in or they feel left out. They can have some confidence knowing that their faith, um, has a lot of alignment with the Western content. So we just need to know how we can mold it together. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So that was incredible. So really you kind of connected the identities to, you know, what you've done with Sabah's Corner. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I really relate to that point of it's, it's, it's about claiming our identities for ourselves, the realizing that yeah. they're our identities, they're not someone else's. So we are unfortunately mm-hmm. almost out of time, but um, I definitely do want to ask you a little bit more. So Let's do two more questions, perhaps. Um, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Most importantly, how can people get involved with the work that you're doing uh, at Sawas Corner? Yeah. So I guess if you go onto my website, um, you can sign up to get newsletters sent straight to your inbox. Um, mm-hmm. I also um, am partnered up with some great companies uh, and, you know, they offer, they provide like deals and um, uh, discounts for my subscribers. So that's a great place to get that because, you know, 
we shop for the same products as Western people do as well. You know, often that's kind of overlooked. It's beyond, you know, apparel. There's also, you know, um, all, all of the products essentially. Yeah. And, um, and also we, as I started a Facebook group because I was getting a lot of emails from people asking questions, um, kind of, you know, asking me, you know, further into different posts that I wrote. And I just figured that it would be a great way to bring everybody together and learn from each other, share, share with each other and care for each other in a safe, judgment-free space. And so the Facebook group is Muslim Motherhood in the West. So if there are any mothers out there, whether you're expecting, you're a new mother, um, experienced veteran mother, you're welcome. As long as you live in the West, because we do have um, that shared understanding of the Western concept. And, yeah. um, you know, please join and, 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 you know, share your experience with us because that's one of the best ways we can learn from each other. Okay. Thank you. Um, now, I truly wish we had more time, but fortunately, we're, we're out of time. Um, however, we no always problem. ask our speakers this question, um, which is, what is your final piece of advice? And I know when we had mm -hmm. talked about it before, you had mentioned that you wanted to tailor it to, to youth. So what is your final piece of advice to youth from, from this interview? Okay, yeah. Um, I think it's really important uh, nowadays to you know identify. So I mentor some youth and I always tell them this as well. You take your skill set and find your passion and work with that in understanding where the world is going and align that with um, the opportunities that are, that are available to you because you'll find that you'll be more successful. It'll be less like a job, more like opportunities. And alongside that, your strongest support system is Allah, is the prophet and is his family. Um, life's a crazy road goods and bads, wins and losses, and you're really going to need to hold on to something um, in order to really prosper and be solution-oriented, and that is your backbone to everything. Thank you, uh, and thank you, Sister Seba, for thank all you. your advice. Fascinating conversation, and best of luck with, with everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the You Mentor Talk Show. Um, you can tune in next week again for another interview. Um, and remember, there are lots of places you can catch our previous episodes. That includes YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, our website, and even in our app. Um, and so we hope you catch us on all those platforms. Umoja Outreach Foundation, uniting and empowering the Shia community.